g'day and welcome to the Fasting Highway Podcast, the podcast that's all about intermittent fasting. I'm your host, Graeme Curry from Perth, Australia. I lost 60 kilograms or 132 pounds living an intermittent fasting lifestyle and have successfully maintained that weight loss. I'm also the author of the Amazon category best-selling book, The Fasting Highway, which will give you a great insight into what it's actually like to live it day to day, how to get started, what it's about, what are some of the health benefits that come from it, and how to turn it into a successful long-term lifestyle. In this series of podcasts, you'll be hearing from people from all over the world, from the beginners to the experienced and those that are on the journey. You'll also be hearing from some leaders in the intermittent fasting community, and you'll also be hearing from some past guests as we recheck in to see how they've been going. And thank you for joining us here on the Fasting Highway. Enjoy the show. G'day, and welcome to the Fasting Highway podcast. And this is episode 165. And just before I get started today, I just wanted to thank those people out there that have been buying a copy of my book, The Fasting Highway, on Amazon, a story of my own journey and my success with intermittent fasting. Uh, If you are in Australia or New Zealand, uh, you can actually get that direct from the website also at www.thefastinghighway.com. If you're looking to get some extra help and accountability in the form of mentoring and private coaching from myself, uh, you can go to the website and book a call from anywhere in the world at a time zone that's friendly to you. Okay, folks, let's get on with today's podcast, and I'm going to be speaking with Michelle Montone. And Michelle was last on the podcast in episode 41 some time ago, and a lot's happened since then for Michelle. And Michelle's a 41-year-old mum of two boys, aged five and eight, and she's a wife to a wonderful husband for 10 years. And she lives in Lake Mary, Florida, a suburb of Orlando, and she's a full-time stay-at-home mum for the last four years. And she was formerly a paralegal, and most recently, she's a host of the podcast, the Fast and Fabulous podcast, and a fasting coach. Michelle's been yo-yo dieting since age 16, and it wasn't until she found intermittent fasting a few years ago that things changed for her. And here she is to tell her amazing story, Michelle Montone. Oh, g'day, Michelle, and welcome back to the Fasting Highway, and thank you for joining me. Thanks, Graham, for having me back. Really appreciate it. Great to have you. A lot's happened since we had you on since uh, episode 41, which we're going to talk about in this podcast some 120 episodes ago. So a lot of water has gone under the bridge, Michelle, and obviously you're becoming much wider known in the international intermittent fasting community. But what we might do is strip it right back and we'll go back to episode 41 when you sort of came on and explained a bit about your journey. So if you wouldn't mind, we'll just recap that for a few minutes, how you got started with intermittent fasting, sort of the issues you had with weight, and then you cracked into intermittent fasting and the rest is history, as they say. So let's start from there. Sure, no problem. So yeah, I, I started fasting about three, a little over three years ago, and um, I, I learned about it in the hair salon where all fabulous information is, is learned. So I, I started fasting January 24th of 2020. I was almost 200 pounds. I don't know if I hit 200 pounds, but I would suspect I did because I stayed far away from scales. Uh, when I went to a doctor's appointment in that same January, a couple of weeks prior, I was 192, I think. And I had been trying at that point to eat better. So I feel like I did lose some inflammation. Um, but I, I say 190, I was started out at. Um, 
anyway, so, you know, it was, it was a rough, I'd say it was easier and then it got hard because once you hit the, you know, the bottom of your sugar stores, it gets a bit, you know, dodgy <laughs> and you get, I, I don't know. I like to call it, I don't like to call it hangry. I hate that word, but I got, you know, headaches and I felt, you know, very tired but then you get over that hump and then you start to hit your fat burning every single day. And that's when the, the true magic of the clean fast starts to happen. So I, I'd say I lost the majority of my weight over that summer in 2020. Um, and then I hit my goal in October, mid probably October of 2020 of 140 pounds. So I've bounced up and down from there. I've gone as low as 135 and I've seen as high as 145. Um, example, this past summer, I had a ton of stress happen in my family. So um, I just got really, I just turned to food again and it was, you know, but getting back to my protocol, I, it came right off. So it, I wasn't really concerned. Yeah, that's great. So basically, since 2020, and I take my hat off to anybody that started this during the height of the pandemic, of course, and in your country, it was particularly bad there. And I mean, having two young children and a husband and a family and everything else like that, that would have really added to the stress. So starting this whole new way of life, how you eat and all that sort of thing in the middle of a raging pandemic is pretty difficult for a lot of people. And I take my hat off to you. I mean, when you think back and you think about what was going on at that point in time, it was quite a stressful time for everybody. So that 50 pounds that you sort of kept off for around 24 kilos over the last sort of three years or two years or however long it's been, how have you sort of found intermittent fasting now compared to when you first started? What's your protocol like now compared to what it was when you first started and what sort of protocols have you tried in that time? So when I first started, I, I started out very, very slow. Um, I started out with about a 1410 and then I worked my way up to a about an eighteen six. And then after that, I when I was in my weight loss mode, the majority of the weight would come off. I would mix it up always. I would aim for at least eighteen hours, but I would like to i I would like to get up to twenty at least three times a week. And then I would delay alcohol, processed sugar, processed, all processed foods in general during the week. And then I would have them on the weekends. Now I follow, you know, it's maintenance has, it was a little weird at first, a little dodgy. I, I didn't really understand how to navigate it. I, you know, my windows got a little bit longer and I was making some bad choices. So I tightened things up and went back to my, my normal weight. And so at that point I kind of eased into maintenance. I do about one 20 hour fast a week. And then the rest is about 18 to 19 hours every day weekends. I'm so much more relaxed on the weekends in maintenance. Um, Sundays, I really don't, I, I, I don't want to say I don't fast because I do. I don't like to eat early. So I, I just eat a late breakfast on Sunday morning. And um, I, I'd say about 16 hours on, on the weekends uh, with an eight-hour eating window, which for me is like, whoa. But I, you know, those are my refeed days. And I feel like they're just as important as the longer fasting days. So 
it's it's been quite the journey. It's been quite the journey. Yeah, that's great. So let's go right back to when you started. Sort of when you looked at intermittent fasting initially, I remember you saying in the first episode, and anybody wants to listen to the first episode, go back to 41, take a listen to Michelle's story because it was a great one. I remember you saying you thought that intermittent fasting was kind of crazy, kind of weird. And um, you sort of thought, heard about it, and you thought, who does that? Who only eats once a day? And that was what I used to think too when I first found out about it. I thought, what are they nuts? Do they belong to some sort of cult? Do they all live on a farm? Do they go out in the paddocks and get the feast ready and all this sort of thing? How does this all work? Well, I didn't really know anybody that did it at the time. And so obviously you've learned a lot about intermittent fasting, the science and everything else around it since then. So what's given what you know now, Michelle, would you have done it any differently when you started, when you say you started slowly and that sort of thing? Is that the approach you would take now? I still would have, I still would, you know, would, would have started slow. I, I like to start slow. I'm not one of these jump in type of people because I wanted to make sure I could achieve the goal I set out to, you know, to make each day. And then when I achieved it and it was easy, then I pushed forward the next day to, you know, a little bit more, but I would say the one thing I would change though, would be to definitely not open my window with just whatever. And that's what I was doing. I was just find whatever was around and be like, okay, I'm just going to eat a grilled cheese or, uh, you know, whatever it is. It didn't matter to me. I did change nothing about what I ate. And I paid for it dearly. <laughs> I had a lot of digestion issues. Um, the first month I had probably the worst hangover of my life. And I have since never drank wine since that day. Um, you just learn a lot about what your body really craves and needs and thrives off of. And then you learn a lot about what it absolutely does not and you don't need and you do not thrive off of. So I definitely would change what I was eating sooner, but I, I don't even know if I could do that. Like going back and looking at my mindset at that point, I was like, I, I really felt that this, this wasn't going to work just like all the other things I had tried. So I liked the freedom of being able to quote unquote eat whatever I wanted at the beginning, even though now looking back, I'm like, man, that it would have been better to, you know, eat higher quality foods and, you know, more nutrient dense foods. But this has all been a little part of the learning process for me. Yeah. When I hear that message about you could eat whatever you want, eating whatever I wanted, Michelle, got me to 350 pounds. <laughs> Simple yeah. as that. Simple right, sure. as that, eating whatever I wanted, what my mind told me to eat. Right. My mind was telling me to go into bakeries and eat pies. It was telling me to go in a fast food store three times a day. That was eating whatever I wanted, right? Right. Yeah. So when I hear that message, I really have to think about it. And I've had Jen on my podcast a couple of times, you know, we broke that myth down. And Jen didn't really have it in that context. And people do take it out of context. And I always say to people, go to the Audible um, version of Delay Don't Deny, there's a sample of Jin talking. And Jin in that sort of two minutes clarifies what she's talking about between eating whatever you want and eating whatever you need. And what I sort of say now, Michelle, is I like to eat what makes me feel my greatest. I like to eat what's going to serve my goals the best. And if that means yes. it's a high-quality food, for me, denying or delaying foods 
isn't a diet brain or it isn't diet mentality. It's simple common sense for me. And that's what I need to do because I was a chronic sugar addict. I was a chronic fast food addict. So I know those things don't work for me. And that's why I was so obese for 40 years of my life. And to make that simple change from eating whatever I wanted to eating whatever makes me feel my greatest has been a game changer. And I, I think I can really see that in you too from when you started to what you're doing now is, is heading that way. It really has. You know, it. I've gone through it all in the past couple of years. I've had, you know, health issues, not anything serious, but I almost had to have spinal surgery and I was under a, a huge amount of stress in 2021, specifically over the summer for the majority of the time. But I was on you know, some sort of painkiller every day, but I just fasted as much as I could every day, you know, and some days I had to open early and I did gain a couple of pounds. I didn't really sweat it though, but I really found so much healing and, and being and feeling grounded too through that stressful time because I have fasting because it's, it's a constant in my life. I can count on it every single day for the healing so I, I went through that, um, and I didn't, I didn't really think I would ever be able to, cause at the end of when I reached my goal, I will, my, uh, my next goal was to become strong. And I, I really wanted to become strong, like more than anything. And then long story short, I, uh, my back went out after an MRI, I, I discovered I have a 10 millimeter bulging disc on my S1 nerve. I could barely walk um, in the summer of 2021. Um, actually, it was started in April into the summer. And then I went from doctor to doctor and they all wanted to throw me on the operating table. And I was like, no, nope, no, nope, there's got to be something else. So I found a, this like really cool belt that um, goes on your hips and it helps your nerve pain. And I went to my fourth doctor. <laughs> I found a fourth opinion. And he looked at me. He goes, you're standing up straight. This belt is working. He goes, you know, I just want you to do some physical therapy and get strong. It's going to take a while. He goes, but you can do it. And he goes, I don't ever want to see you again. <laughs> I was like, okay. And I don't know what it was. I, I After that meeting, I had the confidence to move forward and, and go you know, through with the physical therapy and, and get strong. So it took a long time of physical therapy. And then, um, I was just walking a ton. I, that's all I could do. Cause I wasn't allowed to run. I'm not allowed to do any high impact cardio exercise at all. I'm not allowed. I can't do it. So I, I didn't really know what to do, but walk. And, and I really didn't feel like that was doing much for me because I feel like I have to sweat to be able to work up a good, you know, like good endorphins and get, you know, your blood flowing and stuff and feel really great. So that wasn't really doing it for me anymore. Um, so I eventually found this, I, I call it a gym. It's not your typical gym, but it's a bunch of little saunas where you do these um, virtual workouts in 125 degree infrared energy saunas. And I've been doing that since the end of October and I've upped my protein intake by quite a bit because I also realized I was getting about half the protein I, I needed in, in a day. I just wasn't getting enough. Between that and the workouts, Graham, I'm like 
I've come full circle. Like I, I feel so much healthier. I feel so much more full of energy. Everything is just better. <laughs> like, not that it was bad before, but I, I feel like, okay, I don't feel weak. any. I feel strong now. I'm not even on the scale because I know I'm actually, the, I got on the scale a couple weeks into working out. I gained weight because, well, I'm working up muscle, you know? Mm. Uh, you know, but I, I just stay away from it because my clothes are fitting great. And I, I can feel the difference. I can see the difference. And I just, I, I, I just, I'm not a scale person. Well, you got to find out what works for you, Michelle, and that's the beauty about intermittent fasting. We're all individuals, and it's an individual lifestyle, absolutely, Absolutely. experimental one to the T. But I'm really glad that your back is on the mend there because there's nothing worse than that nerve pain and a bulging disc or something horrible, especially with two little kids to run after too. And let's talk about that uh, aspect. I know last time you are on the podcast, you talked about your family. You had a couple of young boys and I think they must be up up now around five, six, and eight, something like that. So let's talk about that, how you sort of work through this lifestyle with the family as well and managing that back and all the rest of it. And I mean, that, that is very stressful. And what I love what you said was about controlling what you control in your fasting, and that was the one constant that you could do through all of this. So let's talk about family-wise how that's gone for you because I know there's a lot of mums out there and they love to hear how you've been able to manage your lifestyle with the two children. Well, let me start by saying managing two little kids while being obese is a million times harder than managing two kids, little or not, being at a healthy weight. So that's what I really had to focus on. It was hard. I'm not going to sit here and say it was a breeze to get through the stress of dealing with meltdowns and tantrums and fighting, you know, kid stuff, normal kid stuff. But you know, while you're fasting that your cortisol just shoots right up. And I find it. Yeah. The days the kids are home now, because they're in school full time. Now they're, um, one's almost six and the older one's eight. But when they're home on the weekends or they're home for a school break, I find it much harder to fast. So I'm just on those days that they're home. Sometimes if I have to, if it gets really bad, I'm just like, okay, I've got a break now. <laughs> so I just break my fast and uh, carry on. That's it. Uh, it. I found it very helpful, though, because I know a lot of moms struggle with eating leftovers. That was a big, big thing for me. I, I was always eating my kids scraps off their food, off their plate that they didn't finish. So chicken nuggets, uh, you know, just uh, grilled, like the edge of the bread from a sandwich or something, like the crust they don't want. Um, it, it was just a mess. It, but when I, when I was in the fasted state, I always kept keep the keep it shut, keep it shut. So that kept me in control. And that discipline, I, I saw it as a discipline. I say that word a lot in my podcast too, is like discipline. Because if you see it as a discipline, it will become your habit. And when it becomes your habit, it will become your lifestyle. And for moms out there who are listening that are trying to adapt this as your lifestyle, it really, there's never a great time to do it. Don't wait until your kid's birthday party or, you know, whatever it is, just, just start because being obese and having to take care of kids is a million times harder than than it is now when you're at a healthy weight and 
you're able to keep up with them. Um, it's just, that's just that simple to me. I just looked at it that way. Yeah, you know what, Michelle, you've heard me talk about it before. My one regret of all of this is going through my girls' school years as a morbidly obese dad, right? Because right. I missed out on a lot for them and for me during those years. And I dodged all the things like, you know, running races for the parents, swimming races for the parents. I always went missing. I'd always have an excuse. I wouldn't show up. And I know my girls used to get a bit of teasing about my size and all that when they were at school. Because let's face it, kids can be mean. They've got no filter, right? They see what they so see true. and they say what they say. And that can yep. be cutting at times for kids. And I know when I used to go and pick my kids up, you know, even the way other parents interacted with me, you could see that, you know. And I just thought to myself, every time I hear a parent's story where they've gone from an obese person to what we call a sort of a, a normal sort of parent rocking up at the school and being able to do all the things that parents should be able to do and not feeling uncomfortable about it. And not only that, but being a really good role model for those kids as well. And then because you've changed what you sort of used to do and your habits with food and what you said, changing a habit, it becomes a lifestyle. And so those children are going to grow up in a really good space because they've seen what their mum does and they've seen, you know, they can remember and now they see what they do and they, they're set up for life. And I think that's really great, Michelle. So I take my hat off to you. Thank you. Thank you. I hope so. I hope they're I hope they do start to, they're still in the, the picky kid eating phase of life. So once their taste buds broaden, they, they are, it's just like a slow process. I was a super picky eater as a child too. So just a matter of letting them try new foods and just keep trying to open their mind as much as possible to the, um, the fact that, you know, you are what you eat. I, I, I hate to say it that simply, but it's, it's true. Um, if you eat a bunch of junk, you're going to feel like junk. And if you eat delicious, you know, good nutritious food, you're going to feel great. Um, I, my older one wants to be a, a soccer star one day. He's uh, got big aspirations to become pro a professional soccer player. And I, I keep telling him that, you know, it, 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 what you put in your body matters. And, you know, when these top athletes out there, they're not putting just anything in their body. They're very strict with what they eat um, and for a good reason. Yeah. Well, add that string to your bow as well, soccer mum. Jeez, and never ends, Michelle. You're a podcaster, <laughs> no, soccer mum, group host, you name it. You're a person all of all things. trades, as we say here in Australia. But, Michelle, but going back to when you sort of first started, and then you just described how your window changed and all that, and you tried all these various protocols. And I guess one of the questions I always get asked, being an experienced intermittent faster, about various protocols I've tried. I mean, I've always been a nomad person because I like to eat once a day, right? I'm not a person mm -hmm. that can do ADF. ADF just simply doesn't appeal to me because I do not want to eat, not go without eating for a whole day or 40 hours. It just doesn't appeal to my psyche. It doesn't appeal, appeal at all. And not that I'm saying that it's bad or anything like that. I know it has a lot of benefits, but it's just not for me. So what do you think has been the, your sweet spot with fasting in terms of protocols? My sweet spot, I'm sorry, <laughs> let's start that over. My sweet spot is usually about 19.5. I, I, I know that in you know, the Power of Appetite Correction, that book that he discussed, Dr. Um, my gosh, I'm, I'm kind of calling a blank right now. Anyhow, that in that book, he explains about 19.5 being the 
most optimal spot. Now, do I stick to a 19.5 every day? No, <laughs> but that is what I would say is my sweet spot. It's where I like to get to every day in order to feel my best. Yeah, you're talking about bird hearing there and that appetite correction book. And let's talk about that for a second. I mean, obviously, when you started fasting, we have to learn that, don't we? It's it's like that signal sort of when you get to that point of being satisfied when you're eating in that eating window, it becomes almost deafening. For me, it's almost like an automatic switch. It just goes boom. And there might be still a lot of plate food left or whatever, but I know that I've eaten enough, so I have to I just stop. And it's just become an intuitive thing over time. And I think that's where a lot of people struggle when they first start intermittent fasting is in that eating window, learning to pull up when you get to that feeling of satisfied because a lot of the times they'll look at the clock and they'll think, oh, I've got another half an hour in my window. I've got another hour in my window so I can keep eating. They're not, they're not getting that message about, hey, eat till you're satisfied but not stuffed. How do you feel about that, Michelle? I couldn't agree more. Honestly, I, it, it, you, learning to hear your body's satiety signals is everything in this journey and like sitting there and trying to eat for future hunger is never going to get you to your goals. Never. You won't get there. You have to stop when you're satisfied. And that is, I mean, it's, you have physical symptoms that come out that you're, that you're satisfied. If you eat slow enough, I always tell people to slow down while you eat. Because it's going, you'll be able to hear your body being full sooner. But, you know, Jin talks about the sigh. I, that's actually what happens to me. I, I get like, like, as soon as I'm full, I, I feel this like very overwhelming. I'm like, almost like a, <sighs> okay, you know, like, and that's my sign. And at that point, I kind of evaluate where I am in my my eating and, and then I'll decide if I'm going to finish it or not. But usually I'll just take another couple of bites and then I'm done. That's it. I'm full. Yeah. I think a lot of it's got to do with you when you open your window in particular. I know we often read about a lot of people are ravenous during their fast for mm-hmm. various reasons. And sometimes we don't always hear everything that's going on. That could be because they're putting things like cream in their coffee, making their fast hard, they're trying to take shortcuts, that sort of thing, through that fasting period, and it's just making them hungrier and hungrier. Or it's just learning to be able to, when you first start, dealing with that hunger and those waves that come over. Because there's two types of hunger, isn't there, Michelle? There's that head yeah. hunger when we go, oh, man, I'm so hungry. I could chase a horse and eat the jockey. And then there's that hunger where we may not be feeling great. We may feel right. a bit shaky. We might not really feel all that good. And that's the time to listen to your body and open your window a bit earlier and eat. But when you yes. just get that head hunger, if you can distract yourself and go and do something else, phone a friend, go and watch the car, go and watch the dog, do something. Just distract yourself and see if it goes away. Well, that's head hunger. That's a mental hunger. But when it's oh, a yeah. belly hunger and your body is crying out for food and it's getting to that point where you're not feeling that great, well, you've really got to listen to your body in that situation, don't you, Michelle? What have you got to say around that? Yeah. Okay. So head hunger versus real hunger versus actual emergency hunger. I couldn't agree more. You have to go out and you have to find something to do. I'll give you an example. Today, I was kind of like 
feeling a little bit uh, like I not not in a sick way or anything like that, but I was feeling like that head hunger. Like I got home from working out, I did a lot of work, and then I'm like, okay, I still have an hour to go before I get to my goal. What am I going to do? So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to clean the floors. I'm going to just get my vacuum out and my mop and I'm going to clean the floors. And it took an hour and bam, I hit my goal. I totally forgot about being hungry. Like three minutes into cleaning. So I just try to find an activity. Um, like you say, I'll try to you know pick up a phone, get some work done, go outside. Going outside is a huge one because when you go outside, it's just like huge distraction. Um, and getting that vitamin D in really helps. But if I, I do still use pink salt sometimes a little, a little tiny bit, um, and just a big glass of water really, but it it is, there's a huge difference between that mental hunger and your, if your belly's grumbling, it's, it's not because it's really like asking for food. That's what everybody used to tell me. Oh, you must be hungry. Your belly's grumbling. Well, it's no, it's just digestion. It's happening. Like it's doing what it should be doing. It's contracting and, you know, telling me that things are all working good down there. So I, I tend to just go by my physical symptoms as opposed to like the, the head hunger, um, which, you know, it's, it's a mental game. It's hard to get around. It, It can be very hard, especially when you're first starting out. We'll be back after the short message. If you want to come and get some extra help and accountability and coaching with your intermittent fasting lifestyle journey, uh, you can do that by booking in with me via Zoom. You can come and make a time by going to the website, www.thefastinghighway.com. All times you see will be in your local time zone and a relevant charge to do that will be there. Uh, Don't sit there in silence and suffering and get frustrated. Come and have a chat with me and let's get it sorted out. Okay, folks, let's get back to today's podcast. Yeah, it can be. It's a learning process, isn't it? We all have to learn the differences between that mental hunger and the body hunger. But that comes in time. All these things come in time. I mean, we're experienced intermittent fasters, Michelle, and, you know, both you and I have interviewed a lot of people. And so we've learned a lot through that as well Mm -hmm. when you talk to people about their own journeys and how it unfolds. But I think the window opening period is crucial to me with intermittent fasting because a lot of people, they'll go very hard at the ball. They'll throw the fridge open and they'll just eat. And then all of a sudden, they've nearly eaten a whole meal before 10, 15 minutes has gone by, you know, just from standing at the fridge and trying to find something to eat because they feel like my window's open. I'm going to eat now. So what I always say to people is, hey, listen, try and find something a little bit higher in fat, something like avocado might be some cheese. It might be something that's just a bit higher in fat. Might be a coffee with some cream in it when your eating window opens. Don't have that while you're fasting. But I always find that takes the edge off for me. And then I'll have a cream with coffee when my window opens. I'll have some cheese. I might have some avocado. I might have a couple of crackers and some tomatoes, something like that. And then just sit back and, and think about it for about 10 or 15 minutes. Just let that settle. Because yeah, then by then, good. that food yeah. is digested and you start feeling like, you know, that feeling of, I just want to continue to eat goes away. Mm. But whereas yeah. if you just continue to eat when your window opens, then that's setting you up for failure when it comes into the main part of your your sort of feast, if you like. And I think people right. have just got to learn that when you open your window, just take it easy, take a pause, reflect, 
and then see how you feel. And then you can sort of control that aspect of appetite correction and the amount of food that you're eating during your window. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I, I definitely start off slow. And I think what you open your window with matters a lot. And I couldn't not agree more about opening it up with a healthy fat and um, something that's high in protein. I, I like to go for the avocado, um, the leftover grilled chicken from the night before or some eggs. I love eggs. I, I do drink protein smoothies. I get a lot of lash back from that. I don't know why, but I, I do enjoy a good, but I put other nutrition in it. I, I put a lot of other things in it to add extra protein and to add extra nutrients. So it's a more of a nutrition shake, if you will, with protein, but it matters. It matters because then it sets you up for the rest of your, your feasting window. Um, if you open with junk, you're going to probably gravitate more towards the junk in your window than you would towards the, the healthier options. Yeah. Well, you talked about habits before, and I think, you know, during that eating window, habits are great to form, you know, just what we've been talking about there with the opener. But during the actual feast or the main meal you may be having, I always find I had to learn what mindful eating was all about because I was never a mindful eater when I was obese. It was just volume to me. I just shove it down. I wasn't thinking about any off switch. I was just eating food for volume. I wasn't tasting it. I never used to be able to taste the goodness and the quality of food. Mm -hmm. And now I'm very mindful. I eat slowly. I eat deliberately. I put my knife and fork down on my plate. I sit back in my chair. I rest for a couple of minutes. I just don't keep eating all the time. And I think mindful eating and slow and deliberate is another technique for us to learn as intermittent fasters to really make that what I like to call my feasting window a theatrical experience. It's almost like for me going to a theatre and it's like three acts. You'll have the opening act where you'll have your opener, yeah. then you'll have the main part of the show, and then you'll have the wind up at the end. And that could be a bit of dessert, that could be a coffee and cream to close or whatever mm -hmm. it may be. You sit back and you give yourself some applause. The show's over to the next day. So for me, I always think about it like a theatrical experience. And once I got that into my mindset, I was able to apply that to how I went through that eating window process. And I became a much more mindful and slow and deliberate eater. And I also was able to taste the food, Michelle, taste the goodness and the quality. And then when I found I was finding alternative foods to the crap that I was eating before, all of a sudden, I was able to appreciate how good those foods were. I, I take a lot of like time and if I have it, you know, I, it, some, some days I, you know, I do have the two little, little ones, so it's, I'm on the go, but I, I always try to find a way to make my own window opener. Um, and I really have cut back on going out to eat a lot because it's just not worth it to me anymore. And most restaurant food just doesn't agree with me. So I, I'd rather just keep it something I make at home. I know exactly what goes in, but I, I do enjoy the process of making it because it, it's something to do to get me to my goal, like to get me to my fasting goal. It's something, it, my distraction is to cook the food or make the food and present it nicely on a plate, um, make it look very, you know, delicious and, uh, you know, aesthetically pleasing too. I do like to post my, my food sometimes and, and show everybody that, you know, we're not starving ourselves or anything. I eat a lot of food. So yeah, I, I definitely, I love to, to cook, uh, my, my fast breaker 
do I like to cook dinner every night? No, just because it's just a lot of work, but I do what I can. I usually just end up eating, you know, something on my own because we're so busy. And our lives are busy, let's face it. So just taking a bit of time for ourselves. And I, I think with that mindset of self-care and self-love, I mean, obviously, when you're married or you have children, all that sort of love is going out in a lot of ways. And often we tend to push it out and we're not taking anything back in for ourselves. So sometimes we get a little bit lost in that. And I think when you get into a situation where you become obese or your weight continues to go up and you get into that mindset of self-loathing, you, you don't like yourself because of the way you look or how you what you're doing to yourself, but you don't seem to be able to control it, and I think with intermittent fasting, what it's taught me is to have some self-love for myself, Michelle, and have that oh, yeah. mindset of, okay, it's all right for me to put myself first for my health goals. And even though oh, you've yeah. got two little kids, you sometimes have to put yourself first, don't you? I, I You know, here's the way I, I see it. If you don't put yourself first, then who, if you, if your battery's drained, Who's going to take care of the, of your kids? Who's going to take care of your family if you don't take care of yourself first? It's like on a plane when you know there's a lot, you know they tell you to put the face mask on yourself first before you put it on your children, and there's a reason they say that because you have to breathe in order to put their face mask on. So yeah, it's it's definitely it, in order to take care of them, I, I have to uh, I have to be at my best. Um, and self-care is part of being at my best. I don't feel bad about going to the gym every day. You know, I don't feel bad about, you know, going sometimes to get a haircut or a nicer haircut or getting my nails done or whatever it is I'm doing. Relaxation, a massage sometimes. It really does help because when you bring your cortisol levels down, you know, it's much easier to maintain a healthy weight. It's much easier to lose weight if you're trying to lose weight. So I highly, I always try to tell everybody, please, if you can get your stress levels down any way possible, do something every day that brings you joy because it's yeah. really, really I, important. I really agree with that. And self-love isn't egotistical. It's simply loving yourself enough and then everything else you do flows from you. And as you said, okay. you're able to take care of your kids better if you look after yourself. You're able to have that longevity with those children. You're able to be able to see their grandchildren, you know, if they have children in the future, for you to enjoy. So there's so much to look forward to, isn't there? And I, I always say to people that are starting this and, and they're morbidly obese or overweight or whatever it may be, sit down and draw up a list of what is my life going to be like when I get this weight off my body? What am I going to be able to do that I currently can't do or I don't have the confidence to do? And when you write a list like that, and then you say to yourself on the other side of the page, what is this weight doing to me? What is it stopping me from doing right now? What are the issues I have with this weight on my body, whether it be medical, physical, or whatever it may be, lack of self-confidence, lack of self-esteem? And then when you draw those two lists up and you sit there and you look at them, you get some motivation to think, I want to get to these things that I want to do without this weight. And I think that's really important. It is super important. It is super important. Make that list because that list, if I made that list, looking back, it would have been extensive and it would have been a hard list to make. It would have been very emotional, I feel, 
because I, and now there's so many things that I'm doing that there's no way I would have done before I, I had lost the weight and become healthy. You've got to look into the truth machine, Michelle, and that's within yourself. <laughs> the answer is always within yourself. You can read every book under the sun. You can listen to a million podcasts. But at the end of the day, you have to do this for you and only for you as you are the experiment of one. Nobody right. can come and help you with doing your intermittent fasting the right way. You have to do that for yourself. You have to clean fast. You have to do that. When it comes to your eating window, you have to make the choices that are going to serve you best. You have yeah. to decide. And I know a lot of people that come to intermittent fasting have long histories of dieting, very long histories in some case, you know, multi-decades, up and down, up and down, mm -hmm. tried every program under the sun. So they're very reluctant to change or they don't want to think that they're carrying on a diet mentality, but it's really important to not have that mindset. The mindset should be, if I'm going to clean fast all day, then I'm going to complement that clean fast by making my window worthy. And once you get that into your brain, then you sort of think to yourself, okay, I'm going to do that. That's not to say you have to be pristine and holier than now every day when it comes to food. You know, if you want to have cake, have cake. If you want to have you know, a burger, have a burger. But if it's not serving you and after you eat that and you feel terrible, then you've got to say to yourself, well, yeah, maybe that food's not serving me the best. Because we all know when we're obese or overweight, Michelle, I mean, how many times in your life did you go to bed at night feeling absolute rubbish? You couldn't sleep. You were feeling full. You were feeling stuffed. All of that because you're, the processed foods were eating the chemicals and all of that. And when you eat a high-quality food, I can't remember going to bed in the last four years, maybe twice or three times where I might have had a few beers or something like that, that I didn't really feel that great. But that's yeah. one of the real NSVs of intermittent fasting, I feel, that yeah. um, it makes me feel better when I go to sleep and I have a much more restful sleep. Well, yeah, I mean, for me, I'm like, a, a, I wouldn't say a freak of nature, but I've never been a good sleeper my whole life. But I can definitely mirror that feeling of going to lie down and not feeling like you're going to like throw up or something like that. <laughs> you don't feel full and gross or like you, you're too full of gas or something to fall asleep. Like that's how I used to feel like I would eat really late and then I'd eat something even later. And sometimes I'd even get up in the middle of the night and eat, you know, because I thought I, I don't know, I was, I'd get up and I'd be hungry. I'm like, okay, so I'm going to eat something now. Okay. I can't even imagine doing that now. You've got to definitely just keep going for your for eating for your goals. Eating for your goals is like my number one, my number yeah. one thing right now. I agree with that. I can remember getting up in the middle of the night to eat too. And um, yeah. you get up to go to the bathroom and you think, oh, well, I might have a visit to the fridge or something, see what's in there and have some cold food in there or something, have a couple of bites and go back to bed. And, oh, it used to be horrible. And, like, you know, you can change. That's the thing. That's the thing. That's the important thing. No matter how bad your nutrition is, what situation you're in with your weight, you can change if you want to change. And that's the thing. And that's what we're really advocating for. That's what we're trying to get people to do. But it all starts with that clean fast. So if you can nail that, like Michelle was talking about, start slowly. You don't have to start super fast. And one of the big things I wanted to talk to you about today to get this message out, because we're both experienced fasters, Michelle, um, is people need to understand they don't need to start with very, very long fasts. 
they have to start in a period that suits themselves because we see, obviously, alternate day fasting has become popular with a lot of people for various reasons yeah. because they tried mm-hmm. to do fasting. Sometimes it doesn't work for them or they look for an alternative and that's okay. But I wouldn't suggest to anybody that's you to intermittent fasting, I wouldn't say to them, do alternate day fasting until you've been doing IF for at least three to six months. So you get your body into that phase of fasting, you get into that sort of fat adapted period, you come into that appetite correction, and then you're in a really good space to try these very long fasts, including alternate day fasting, because often we find people, they'll try and fast too long and they'll crash and burn and they'll say intermittent fasting is no good. So it's really important just to work into it, isn't it? It's so important. to. I feel like it's so, so important to ease in. Uh, you know, easing in for me was, was I think, ultimately why I was so successful and why I continue to maintain because I didn't take off more than I can chew and ultimately or bite off more than I can chew and ultimately set up myself for failure because that's what a lot of people do. Like you were just saying, they go in and they will come into the Facebook groups and they see people doing 36 hour, 42 hour fasts. And they're like, Oh, I want to do that. I want to lose, you know, 10 pounds in two weeks or something ridiculous. And, um, and they try that and they think they're going to die because that is really hard to do right out of the gate. Like I can't even imagine trying to fast for 36 hours and never fasting before. That is definitely not something I would ever recommend somebody to do. I actually have never tried alternate day fasting myself. I've never tried it. It's just never something that's like you said, it's not, it's, it's never a tool that I wanted to pull out of my toolbox because I, I need to eat every single day. I'm more of a once a meal type, once a, once a, once a meal day person um, as opposed to sleeping all night with no food. I just can't, I get so jittery. I went for 25 hours once and that was like so full of energy, but then I hit a wall and I was like, there's no way I could sleep like this. There's just no way. So yeah. I had to eat something. On the same, I only ever fasted over 36 hours once and that was purely because I got home late from a field trip for work and I was super tired and I got out of the car and I said, I'm just going to go to bed, you know, I'm just not even going to worry about eating. And I woke up the next day and I, I remember the whole next day how hungry I was. And that's why I don't do it. And particularly I wouldn't do it where I did like a 500 calorie option. For me, 500 calories would just want me to try and eat more. Just All I'd want to do is eat more once I started and that would be the problem. I think if I did do it, I'd probably do the, the down and up day sort of yeah. thing to make it yeah. clear. I couldn't do was, the 500 either because I, I that would be like an open, like an opening. I'm like, oh, I'm open, you know, now I want to eat again. And now I could see myself just going crazy the next day too with food. Like after a 36, 42 hour fast, just eating everything for like 12 hours or something. Yeah, you know, we're moving into the final bit of the podcast, but I really wanted to open up a space here about Michelle Montaigne. <laughs> Let's face it, you've come along out of the bolt from the blue, you're sitting in a hairdresser's salon. And I've got to tell you, I get my hair cut at a lady's salon, and the conversations are very interesting, I've got to say. <laughs> I've actually it's learned very- a lot myself. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's a bit of an eye-opener. I never knew what they talked about before, but 
Yeah, it's very interesting because every sort of, you know, there's a man section there as well and we all sit in a little corner and you could hear all the conversations going on. I really talk about this stuff getting (laughs) here. Wow. And obviously the hairdressers is a very sacred thing, I suppose. But yeah, that's interesting. But that's when you first heard about this intermittent fasting, you thought at the time it was crazy. You discovered things like gin, you joined groups and that sort of thing. But let's talk about where you are now. I mean, you're obviously a podcaster. You have your Fast and Fabulous podcast, which is fabulous. Um, I've been on it myself as a guest. I really love it. I listen each week to all the various guests. Uh, Thoroughly recommend it to anybody out there. But not only that, but you've grown a Facebook community from scratch, from nothing, to some 12,000 members now, following the principles of Delay, Don't Deny, Clean Fasting, which I think is magic. And, you know, you've just really come out and all this sharing that you're doing. And now you're going and transitioning into intermittent fasting, coaching and mentoring. So let's just start talking about all of that and how that came about. Firstly, the group, and then we'll move into your coaching and we'll talk about coaching a bit. So the group was honestly, I formed it when Jin left Facebook back in 2021. 2021, she reached out to like, you know, a bunch of us to form, you know, our own groups if we wanted. And I really just, I I formed it because I had a lot of people in my circle, my friends and my family see my success and were generally just interested in fasting. And I really just wanted to share with them. It never really was intended to become this big thing. And it kind of just grew that way. And so that's, you know, it, it's, it's not just me that runs it. I have two other administrators, Melissa Denny and Lisa, just, just soonest. I always say her last name wrong. Sorry, Lisa, don't get mad at me for that. Uh, those are my other um, administrators. And then I have a few moderators. They do a wonderful job um, of keeping the integrity of the group as high as possible But the podcast actually just, it was something that I had been thinking out for so long and I just didn't have the nerve to start doing it. I was really nervous. I didn't think anyone would want to hear, anyone would want to hear anything I had to say. Uh, I didn't think I qualified to have a podcast. (laughs) Um, And so I thought about it for like a year. And then I came up with the concept of Fast and Fabulous and kind of just said to myself, you know what? It's just like fasting. If it's scared, like I was a little scared of going into fasting and making it my lifestyle. And it's the same with the podcast. I just do, I'm like, do it scared, do it scared. And so that's what I did. It was a little rocky at first, but it's definitely evolved And I really enjoy it because every interview I do, I learn something new and, and I, I get to share about intermittent fasting all the time, which actually keeps me in check in, in my own intermittent fasting lifestyle. So what I'm giving out, I feel really the universe is giving back to me in some kind of way because I am getting like so much knowledge and information from just, just not just my guests, but like, you know, even just members in my group, I have, you know, some really seasoned fasters in there that are 
oh, I've been fasting for six years or something like that. I'm like, oh, wow, you know, tell us your story or, you know, like I want to, I always want to learn something else. I always want to go after the next goal. So the podcast came along. I mean, it's doing pretty well. I don't produce as many episodes as a lot of other podcasters out there because it is just a very small part-time thing for me. Um, but that's kind of evolved into me mentoring, um, and coaching people for, um, somebody who, who may need to have a little bit of extra help. I mean, this is a free lifestyle. It doesn't cost you anything to fast. It's one of the things we love, but there are some people that just need some help with either the mindset shift or just accountability, um, knowledge. If they don't want to be on social leaning on the face, you know, the Facebook support groups, then, that's what that's what I that's where I would come in. Fantastic, Michelle. I can't tell you how proud I am of you. Um, I followed you, you. Obviously, we've known so each other for a while, and I think you're a great podcaster. And I think you're only going to get even better. And um, yeah, but people don't sort of realise how much work's involved in podcasting. Um, there is a lot of work involved. A lot of family time gets taken up. It's a very expensive exercise as well in terms of, you know, having to maintain it, having to edit it, all those sorts of things. And there's a lot of background stuff that goes in it. And even running a Facebook group takes an immense amount of time. And, I mean, obviously, sometimes you can't get to that point where you just can't keep on giving and giving and giving and sort of so much time. There has to be sort of a comeback somewhere. But I think you've sort of found that fine line. But I'm a huge fan of intermittent fasting coaching, and I'll tell you why. Because I think if I'd gone back to the very, very start and if I'd have known there was coaches – I probably would have seeked one out because I'm the sort of person that thrives in a one-on-one environment when I'm talking to somebody in private. It's a very difficult thing to talk about your weight in public in a Facebook arena. It's a very difficult thing to post a photo of yourself, um, you know, as an obese person, all those sorts of things, and just share what you share so intimately. And even though that Facebook community is, is private, you're still sharing that with a lot of people. So some people just can't do that. That's why they need that one-on-one help. And I think some extra help and accountability is also good because when you have accountability with somebody, and particularly if you're putting an investment into it, if I was putting an investment into it, I'd want to make sure I'd get the return of my accountability for myself to be doing that properly with that coach. So with the coaching, just let's just talk about that. I mean, obviously, you're, you're an experienced person. What should people be looking for in a coach? If it was me looking for a coach, I'd want to know things like, track record uh, with intermittent fasting. I'd want to know things like maintenance with intermittent fasting. I'd want to know referrals, that sort of thing. I think that's important for people when they are looking for a coach to ask the right questions. Yeah, it goes a long line with anything you do in life. You know, you want to do your due diligence. Look the person up, see what they're all about. How long have they been fasting? How long have they been in maintenance? How... um, you know, are they, are they clean fasting? You know, there's a lot of coaches out there that don't really know about clean fasting or promote it at all. So there's so many things to look for in a coach, but the main thing I would say is you have to find the right connection because you're, you're talking to this person every single day. And it's, if it's not the right fit, like say like your personalities just clash. I I had a client once that we just didn't work well together she didn't want to listen to anything I had to say. She was completely like she had blinders on and did not want to hear anything I had to say. So that was very difficult. And that was a huge 
learning lesson for me. Um, and there was a lot of red flags right away. So it, it goes both ways. I, it has to be a good fit for them and it has to be a good fit for me. As far as referrals go, you know, I don't have mine posted on my website, but I'd obviously be happy to give if somebody was asking me for one or, or a few, I could definitely do that for them and, you know, private, privately. I think people in your group too, I mean, obviously they know you very well because you're- Well, yeah, the group, group of course. And, you know, so they can get hold of you and that sort of thing. But yeah, I, I mean, that's the way I'm heading too with, um, I've been mentoring and coaching people for some years now, you know, but I'm going into it. I just left my job actually so I could throw my soul into it because that's my passion. That's what I really want to do. That is so Because awesome. I want others to have what I have. And, you know, I find that when I'm working with people one-on-one, it's so much easier than trying to, you know, do it on the yeah. group aspect because you're actually working intimately with one person. And so, yeah, I congratulate you on everything you've done, Michelle, and you're an inspiration yeah. to so many people out there, and I can't wait to see where your journey goes in the future. And hopefully there's a book in you at some stage as well, and you put all this documented what you've learned and, you know, where all the guests that you've interviewed and what have you. But Michelle Montone, thank you for coming back on the Fasting Highway. It's the delight as usual. Thank you for having me back, Graham. It was so nice to be here. Thank you. Uh, the best way is either my website, fastandfabulouspodcast.com or Instagram. Um, my tag is Clean Fasting Mama. Clean Fasting Mama. That's it. That's where I first met you, the Clean Fasting Mama. That's the way. <laughs> I remember following you on IG. Okay, Michelle, take so care. Well. Have a lovely day. And my regards too, to everybody in Florida. And I'm, I'm glad everything uh, got better there since you had those floods. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, it's been much better. Thanks for having me again and have a wonderful day. Okay, take care. Bye. You too. Bye. Oh, thank you so much, Michelle. Thank you so much for coming back onto the podcast. And I can't tell you how proud I am of you on how far you've come with everything you've done since. And thank you for sharing your amazing journey starting your Facebook group and podcast. And I know you're going to go on to help many, many people from around the world. So good luck, and we hope to talk to you in another 6 to 12 months' time to see where you are then. Okay, folks, as heard in the podcast there, if you are looking to get some extra help and accountability, you can come and do that by booking a mentoring and coaching session with me. You can go to the website, www.thefastinghighway.com. All times you see will be in your local time zone. You can book in no matter what country you live in around the world. You can do that and come and have a private chat with me one-on-one. Okay, folks, until next week, be well, be safe, and remember, clean fasting is everlasting.